Good day, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk about the SSPX today. We're going to talk about modernism. We're going to talk about the devil. I don't mean in like a salacious exorcism sense, but in the sort of demonic psychology surrounding this whole confusion in the church as it relates to the SSPX and how it sort of manifests itself through modernism. Why am I wearing a hat with the Montreal Canadiens on it? Well, I'm a Habs fan, as you can see by the sweater as well. FYI, the Canadians are a tradition. The Toronto Maple Leafs are the Nova Sordor, I'm pretty sure. The Winnipeg Jets, considering it's Winnipeg, they're probably just drunk. In any case, um, but in all seriousness, I need a haircut. Don't have time to go get one. Just had a baby. Kids had stomach flu. Barber's 45 minutes away. So I kind of look like a sheepdog, so I thought I'd cover that up. It's going to be a longer episode of my show, maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour. Maybe I'll break it up. I don't know. We'll kind of see what happens. See where the spirit leads us, as the charismatics love to say. And um, we're going to talk about something that uh, I've been talking about for a long time, but haven't talked about in a while, and that is the SSPX and sort of what that means. Um, the reason I'm talking about the society, the devil, and modernism is because it is my opinion that modernism is at root of the crisis uh, in the church, of course, but also in the it is the root cause or justification of the arguments against the SSPX. And I'm talking about the intelligent arguments, not just the random stupid ones which there are many, and uh, the confusion of facts around the SSPX is just that. It's confusion, and it's from all levels of the church, and it's from all levels of the lady, and all everywhere. You can listen to this podcast here, that podcast there. They'll tell you radically different things. I'll tell you, when I was discovering the SSPX, I guess 2018, I asked a catechet well, a friend of mine asked a catechetical instructress at a catechism class thing we were going to with some other people from church, what is the SSPX? And this woman is like highly educated and handles these ministries and stuff. And uh, she said, um, they're like the state of a contest, but they don't believe there's been a Pope since St. Pius X. She thought that's what they meant. They were uh, St. Pius X sedes. I was like, okay, well, that's not what, I knew that's not what it was. I was told by another priest, uh, they're like the Lutherans. They don't have valid sacraments. I was told by another priest, they're like the Eastern Orthodox and full schism, as he said. I was like, what's a partial schism? Didn't have an answer. And um, I've been told, I've been told everything in between. I've, I've heard the craziest stuff. Um, I've heard they started their own church like the Anglicans in 1970. That's when Archbishop Lefebvre started the seminary. But this person, and these aren't dumb people. These are people who like know stuff and go to church and are conservatives, open to life, that kind of thing. So Archbishop Lefebvre started a new church in 1970 with Vatican approval or with uh, you know the proper you know channels for starting a seminary. Okay, I mean these are just crazy things. They're just they're just crazy things, and it's everywhere, and it's people of goodwill. So we're going to go through all that. But before we get into that, I want to thank our sponsor, Aura et Calora. Aura et Calora is a catechetical and wonderfully beautiful coloring experience for children and even adults if you want to. You can see them here on the screen. They're absolutely gorgeous. Check out the link in the description for this experience in coloring and catechetics. Beautiful uh, artwork made by a real faithful Catholic man uh, trying to do something to help the church. Check out the link for that in the description. Thank you to Aura at Colora for sponsoring this episode. Last thing. Emergency prayer request, my friends. You may have heard of Liturgy of the Home. Their little, their smallest child has been afflicted with a pretty serious brain tumor. They're currently in the hospital and there's going to be some surgery going on and it's not guaranteed what's going to happen. So I'd like everybody to please pray 
for the Liturgy of the Home folks. If you've never seen Liturgy of the Home, you can see it here on my screen. Wonderful uh, handmade illustrations, everything you need as a Catholic. They've got calendars and they've got, that's us years ago talking on Tim's show. Um, pull that up here. Just beautiful, beautiful things that you can use in your home. So one way that you can support this family presently is go to the website, Liturgy of the Home. It's in the description for this podcast. And you can actually sign up for subscriptions to their stuff. You can buy their stuff. Please do that. I guess go to a members area or something and log in or, uh, yeah, whatever. And, um, sorry, go to their website and uh, shop. There's shop, of course. And you see how beautiful these things are? Anyway, go there and support this family. They're really up against it right now. Super faithful, wonderful human beings really faithful Catholics, and uh, they need your help and your prayers. So first, pray. Pray a rosary. Pray 10 rosaries. Pray 100 rosaries. Go give your priest a stipend to say Mass for them. Do whatever. And then go to liturgyofthehome.com. Go to the website that's linked in the description of this podcast and support them that way. Everyone needs financial support. It's one of the realities of life, especially when you're going through a trial. You need to have those things covered. And this is one way of doing it is by supporting their work. So please flood Liturgy of the Home with your pocketbook. Okay, but first your prayers, of course. So the SSPX. I'm going to do something here, and we're going to pull up. Actually, no, we're not going to do that first. See, I'm just going off the top of my head here. This is the first thing I want to do. Even though I myself am an unabashed supporter of the SSPX, everybody knows this. You know, this is not a secret. I, of course, love the SSPX. I wrote a book. SSPX, The Defense, a book which you can see here on the screen. Thank you to Enrique Aguilar for making that beautiful artwork. Find this book in the link in the description. This book was a bestseller. I don't say that to self-aggrandize, but it did reach the top of the Catholic chart, which is pretty crazy considering I'm just, I don't have a publisher. It was completely self-published. I didn't do any marketing and it was beating out for a week or two, you know, St. Faustina and, you know, any, every Catholic book in the Catholic book section, which is a lot. Those books are perennial bestsellers literally every day. So clearly there was a hunger for it. At any rate, I know about the SSPX. I'm one of the few people you're ever going to meet who, for some reason, has obsessed about it for years and years. And, and that's another story. Why would I do that? But just basically circumstances, they say, you know, there's that expression. I think it's in hip hop. You know, the thug life, you don't choose thug life, thug, thug life chooses you, something like that. I didn't choose the SSPX, the SSPX, SSPX chose me, meaning it was just a matter of circumstance. I want to take my kids to tradition. That's the only thing around. What is this? Wow, I like this thing. I'll talk about this thing. People hate this thing. Why do they hate this thing? I love this thing. I like to defend things that I love that people hate. And here we are. In any case, I've heard it all. So when it comes to positions about the SSPX, there are, I'm going to say three categories of position. Two are reasonable. One is unreasonable. One position is the position I hold that many traditionalists hold that the SSPX is great, totally fine. Whether they attend or not, people love the SSPX. You go to the average institute, parish, or fraternity parish, pretty much everybody likes the SSPX at this point. Even if you talk to fraternity priests, maybe in private, most of them, or a lot of them, will tell you that like the SSPX. Many, many, I've even had Novus Ordo deacons reach out to me and say they like the SSPX. Pretty popular amongst a lot of faithful Catholics. 
Then there's sort of a middle ground position. This is like my friend, my, I guess my colleague, maybe I guess we're friendly. Brian Holdsworth has another Catholic YouTube channel. We've talked about, the, about it before. He's been on my channel as well. Doesn't think I'm a schismatic. Doesn't think we're schismatics. He just disagrees with Archbishop Lefebvre, although he pretty much holds the same position. So it's kind of a interesting middle ground. Um, but he doesn't think we're non-Catholics. He just, if he were Lefebvre, he would, do to, he, he would have done it differently or doesn't think he should have done it or whatever. Fair enough. Tongue in cheek, I'll say. We could all also say if we were Tom Brady, we'd throw maybe different passes in the Super Bowl, but that's neither here nor there. But in all seriousness, um, and yes, I did compare Archbishop Lefebvre to Tom Brady, but obviously not in a sports sense. In any case, yeah, the SSPX is okay. People don't think it's the abomination of desolation, but if they can choose the fraternity instead, they're going to go there, and they don't really understand the whole thing, but they're not really upset about it. That's a pretty reasonable position. And to be honest, I can have friends with, be friends with people like that because it's not as if understanding the SSPX is an article of faith. So it's not like you can anathematize somebody or expect a de fide assent of religious conscience, but that's a reasonable position. But then there's an unreasonable position. And there's many types of this position, everything from complete and utter ignorance, the things I've heard, the things I've heard, it's just unbelievable. You know, I don't even know how to explain the things I've heard that are so unbelievable. It's like, you know, they don't even have valid sacraments, etc. It's like, there's just crazy positions that are just out of this world bananas. Um, And then there are people who are very intentional about their critiques of the SSPX, but their positions are ultimately based on nominalism, modernism, and confusion. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about here. To do that, we're going to look at the actual document Ecclesia de Adflicta, which is the one that alleges John Paul the, that it, it, where John Paul II wrote it and it alleges that Archbishop Lefebvre excommunicated himself. We're going to go into that document and we're going to show how the disorder about the SSPX, and we could go back further, but we're just going to focus on that for now because there's so much. The disorder about the SSPX is at the highest levels of the church and it was there since the beginning. So I'm just going to pull that document up real quickly. Okay, so here is the letter and we're going to go to paragraph four. Paragraph four because this is the money paragraph which, I mean, you could do a PhD thesis on this thing. It's just so telling. This is written by John Paul II. In fairness, probably not written by him. Um, that's You can read about that in my book, SSPX, The Defense. But here's what it says and it's talking about the schism of Archbishop Lefebvre which, anyway... It says, the root of this schismatic act, by the way, a schismatic act is not a schism, that's technical, but anyway, the root of this schismatic act can be discerned in an incomplete and contradictory notion of tradition. So let's just pause there. John Paul II is alleging, or at least who wrote this, Archbishop Lefebvre has an incomplete understanding of tradition. Now, just step back for a second. You can find in John Paul II some pretty astounding scandals of doctrinal confusion. For example, I'm going to show you a list here. And this list, I think it is from, I, I don't know who wrote it. So if it's a whatever group, I don't know. But it's a list that shows a lot of different things. And um, there are various things that need to be considered. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because John Paul II is going to be saying Archbishop Lefebvre doesn't understand what tradition is then we should probably see what position John Paul II is coming from. And um, 
So here's the list. You kiss the Quran. It's a big deal. Um, spoke as if all men were united to Christ through the incarnation. And there are citations for all these sorts of things. Um, suggested that all men are saved. You can check out the homily there at Santa Maria Interas Devere. Um, said that the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of the creed is present and it, all its essential elements in non-Catholic sects. Letter to the bishops of the Catholic church on some aspects of the church understood as communion. We go on and on and on, but here's one. Says that our Lord's descent into hell simply, we should probably say primarily means that he was buried. Now, I'm going to pull up from EWTN because EWTN is a source that I bet you all of you SSPX despising folks make this thing of me smaller here or probably like. So here is what he says. He goes on with this long-winded explanation about what it means, blah, 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 blah. Right here. During the three incomplete days between the moment when he expired and the resurrection, Jesus experienced the state of death. That is the separation of body and soul as in the case of all people. This is the primary meaning of the words he descended into hell. They are linked to what Jesus himself had foretold when in reference to the story of Jonah, he had said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So according to John Paul II, the primary meaning of descended into the de into hell means Jesus died. With respect, this is contrary to Catholic tradition. The primary meaning of descended into the dead is that Jesus descended into the limbo of the fathers. This has been understood. There's artwork of this going back millennia. The reason I bring this up is because is it really the case that Archbishop Lefebvre had an incomplete understanding of tradition? I don't think so. I think if we were going to say someone had an incomplete understanding of tradition, we could say we have good reason to believe it might have actually been John Paul II himself. All right, let's bring up this document again here. So here is the letter Ecclesia de Flicta. So the root of the schismatic act can be discerned an incomplete and contradictory notion of tradition. If you read Archbishop Lefebvre's book, um, Open Letter to Confused Catholics, he clearly does not have an incomplete understanding of tradition. In fact, you can use his definition of tradition, meaning that is the deposit of faith handed down from the apostles throughout the church and purified and so on and so forth. This is a very textbook definition of tradition. He says, incomplete because it does not take sufficiently into account, into account the living character of tradition. This is a modernist ploy, which is a second Vatican council clearly taught, comes from the apostles and progresses in the church with the help of the Holy Spirit. No problem there. There was a growth in insight into the realities and words that are being passed on. Here comes the money line. This comes about in various ways. It comes through the contemplation and study of believers who ponder these things in their hearts. So as long as you study things in your heart, you progress tradition. It comes from the intimate sense of spiritual realities which they experience. So your experiences are part of tradition. And it comes from the preaching of those who have received along with their right of succession in the episcopate the sure charism of truth. This last sentence is totally fine. This middle sentence here, these middle two sentences, definitely adjacent to neo-modernist gobbledygook. He goes on to say, but especially contradictory is a notion of tradition which opposes the universal magisterium of the church uh, uh, possessed by the Bishop of Rome and the body of bishops. It is impossible to remain faithful to the tradition while breaking the ecclesial bond with whom, with him to whom in the person of the Apostle Peter, Christ himself entrusted the ministry and unity of his church. Did you see the trick there? 
Let's look at the trick there. This is a non sequitur, meaning it doesn't follow. But especially contradictory is a notion of tradition which opposes the universal magisterium of the church. Possessed by the Bishop of Rome and the body of bishops, it is impossible to remain faithful to the tradition while breaking the ecclesial bond. So he's saying, you can't remain faithful to tradition if you break the ecclesial bond. But John Paul II says the root of his breaking of the ecclesial bond is because he doesn't understand tradition. So John Paul II is essentially alleging that Archbishop Lefebvre is a heretic or is an, or is an error. But he first and foremost can't stay in the realm of tradition because primarily he's broken his ecclesial bond. So which is it? Did he break his ecclesial bond or is he a heretic? I mean, this is the reality. The reality of this is that Archbishop Lefebvre, according to this letter, is basically a heretic and a schismatic. Is there anyone of good sense? Is there anyone of good sense who's going to suggest that Archbishop Lefebvre is a heretic and a schismatic? I don't even think some of his enemies today would say that, but I don't even think there's some of his worst enemies would definitely not accuse Archbishop Lefebvre of heresy. Anyway, the reason I bring this up, from the beginning, there is a complete disorder in the conversation about the SSPX from the highest office in the church. Archbishop Lefebvre is a schismatic because he's a heretic. Archbishop Lefebvre is a heretic because he's schismatic. That's basically what it's saying. This is a circular argument. Doesn't make any sense, logically. Also, John Paul II is a pope who has uttered many things that are contrary to tradition. And he is the one saying that that's okay because the Vatican, Second Vatican Council tells us that tradition progresses in the hearts of believers. Therefore, John Paul II wants to say the primary understanding of the sentence of the dead is Christ died or descent into hell and not that Christ liberated the souls from limbo. He can say that because tradition progresses through the hearts of believers, but it's Archbishop Lefebvre who doesn't understand Catholic tradition. Let's bring up just quickly what Archbishop Lefebvre actually said about tradition. So here is, as I was mentioning earlier, Archbishop's, Archbishop Lefebvre's magnum opus. Maybe they've uncrowned him as more of a magnum opus, but this is open letter to confused Catholics. This has helped many people understand the SSPX when they really truly understand what was going on. And this is from a chapter called What is Tradition? And here he asks that question. What is tradition? I just highlighted it in blue. And he says, But what is tradition? It seems to me that the word is often imperfectly understood. So, again, who, who imperfectly understands this? See the Archbishop Lefebvre, John Paul II. It is equated to the traditions that exist in trades and families and in civic life. The bouquet fixed to the roof of a house when the last tile is laid, the ribbon that is cut to open a monument, etc. That is not what I'm referring to. Tradition does not consist of the customs inherited from the past and preserved out of loyalty to the past, even where there are no clear reasons for them. Tradition is defined as the deposit of faith transmitted by the magisterium down through the centuries. The deposit is what has been given to us by revelation, that is to say, the word of God entrusted to the apostles and transmitted unfailingly by their successors. So think about what John Paul II said. 
How is Archbishop Lefebvre's understanding of tradition incomplete? The only thing missing is that Archbishop Lefebvre has not put in his understanding of tradition this idea that you can bubble up these feelings and experiences and sentiments in your soul and contribute those to the living tradition of the Catholic Church. What Archbishop Lefebvre is saying is what's found in the whole history of the Church. What Jean-Paul II is saying is what is basically found in novelties in documents in the Second Vatican Council. So the root of Archbishop Lefebvre's schism, according to Jean-Paul II, is that he doesn't understand tradition in a way that is different to how tradition understands tradition. That's a very big problem. Now, I want to bring up another book here real quickly from Dr. Kwasniewski, who gives us a very good definition expanding on this from Archbishop Lefebvre of tradition. And let's just see if Archbishop Lefebvre has any problems with his understanding according to one of the best Catholic scholars we have today. So here is a... Uh, it was an article I was working on a while ago. Point is, it's a citation from Dr. Kwasniewski's Once in Future Roman Rite. And I want to read this for you here. And it's about sacred tradition. What is it? Dr. Kwasniewski, who I will affectionately refer to as Dr. K, gives a similar explanation to that of Lefebvre, albeit with more academic and scholarly precision, important given the nature of the book he wrote in the Once in Future Roman Rite on pages 8 to 9. One of the best 20th century textbooks, the manual Theologiae Dogmatiques de Jean-Marie Hervé, distinguishes four kinds of tradition, dominical, divino-apostolic, humano-apostolic, and ecclesiastical. So let's just pause there. Were any of these mentioned? Were any of these mentioned in John Paul II's letter? No. And ecclesiastical. Dominical tradition in that which was established by Christ himself, such as the indissolubility of marriage and the need for fasting. Divino-apostolic tradition comprises that which the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to introduce as part of the church's constitution such as the ordination of deacons, the initial determinations of the liturgy that would develop over time into the families of Eastern and Western rites. Humano-apostolic refers, in contrast, to that which they themselves deemed fitting to institute as Christ's representatives, such as determinate periods when Christians should practice fasting and abstinence. Lastly, ecclesiastical tradition refers to everything that the Church has instituted or adopted after the time of the Apostles. For example, the exact duration of the seasons of Advent and Lent, the octaves of Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, the Rogation Days, and the vestments to be worn by the clergy at the altar. All four types of tradition have this in common. They are started by an authority Christ, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, the church, and then continuously handed down, preserved, and fostered. The deposit of faith, the sum total of dominical and divino-apostolic tradition, admits of no change. So, let's just pause there. Did Archbishop Lefebvre ever misunderstand something as part of the deposit of faith? I'm pretty sure the novelties in the Second Vatican Council don't count as the deposit of faith, so that couldn't have changed the deposit of faith. Continues, It is fully established upon its promulgation, which is complete by the time of the last apostle's death. Humano-apostolic tradition had only a certain window in which it could be established. After St. John's death, it cannot be modified, only discarded. Ecclesiastical tradition is the most complex category. In any case, none of this demonstrates none of this demonstrates anything suggesting that Archbishop Lefebvre did not have an understanding of tradition. If anything, it demonstrates that John Paul II did not have an understanding of tradition, if I'm being honest. Now, let's move on. Because I said at the beginning, 
We have the confusion, which is demonic. We have the reasonable categories, the unreasonable categories. And we also have the modernist, legalist, nominalism. That's what we're going to get into now because this document shows us, this document by John Paul II is an example of modernism because it's questioning the traditional understanding of tradition and saying if you don't accept the traditional understanding of tradition, you're a heretic. And if you don't, anyway, it's, 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 it's a modernist gobbledygook to begin with. And it's nominalist. Here's why. First of all, what is nominalism? It's a philosophical heresy that basically you can say there's no natures to things and you can just sort of change what they mean. So if we look at traditional understandings of tradition, it is not what John Paul II says. It's just not. Now you might say you can understand what John Paul II is saying as being part of how the traditional understanding could be understood. Okay, fine, let's just say that. But clearly, it must be the same as the traditional understanding of tradition. Otherwise, it's a heresy. If John Paul II is promoting something that's just simply not the traditional understanding of tradition, then it's just not part of the faith. And you can't say someone's a schismatic for not accepting something that's not part of the faith. And we see in Archbishop Lefebvre's work, he presents no novelties. And then when we look at the traditional understanding by looking at the citation from that, you know, traditionally held textbook, catechetical book used for a long, long time for training priests and so forth. It is clearly not what is said in John Paul II's thing. So there's an impasse we get to here, which shows us that John Paul II is basically expecting that Archbishop Lefebvre submit to an understanding of tradition that's not found in the tradition. This is modernism, but this is an example of nominalism. And why is that? A nominalist believes that you can basically just change the meaning of a word. That's, that's essentially what it means. Like to, to be less sophistical about it and just sort of get into the nitty gritty. A nominalist believes that you can say, well, tradition is defined as this because the meaning of it has evolved. That's pretty much what it is. You know, there's more to it. You know, if you're like a Ed Fazer theologian out there, philosopher, you know there's more, but I'm just, you know, layman terms. Uh, this is, it's, it's at the heart of everything in our society that's disordered. You know, you can define a man and woman differently because who's to say what the definition is? The definition changes. You can say tradition for 20 centuries is this, but if you want, if you're the Pope, you can say Archbishop Lefebvre, even though he understands tradition the way everyone else did before, well, that's not how we define it now, so he's a schismatic. This is a problem. This is a huge problem. This is nominalism. And this infection of nominalism it descends into the confusion about the SSPX. For example, let's move on to the fruits of this document and that erroneous understanding. You see, historically in the church, read Aquinas, pick out your big saints, your big doctors of the church and so forth. Things were very binary. You're either in schism or you're not. You're either in communion or you're not. In fact, you can find quotes from uh, Blessed Pius IX saying if you ever encounter a pope who's a heretic, just ignore him. There's a pope saying that who's a blessed. If you were to say, I'm going to ignore the pope today, people are going to call you schismatic. That's insane. That means the meaning of the word has changed. That means Blessed Pius IX was correct because the people who do apologetics for the pope will never say the popes were wrong. But 
if John Paul II says you don't get with the program on this novel definition of tradition, which isn't traditional, then you're a schismatic. So you can ignore a heretical pope 150 years ago. You can't ignore a pope who promotes things that are against tradition now. Because why? Because the pope said so. Because that's what people think nowadays. They believe the pope is like the pharaoh. Remember that movie, uh, Prince of Egypt? Um, it's the story of Moses. You know the story of Moses. But in the movie, you know, he's Moses is standing in front of his uh, you know, adopted brother, Ramses. And uh, Moses kills a man and Ramses says, I am the rising sun and the evening star or whatever. If I say you didn't murder him, you didn't murder him. That's how people think the Pope is nowadays. If the Pope says tradition is defined like this, that's what it is. Even if the Pope before didn't say that. And this is the nominalism. This is the modernism. You can't separate them. A modernist believes doctrine evolves. Meaning it changes from, not just changes in formulation. You know, like for example, it was always believed in the church. It was always believed that there was the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. But we didn't have the defined dogmatic statement of transubstantiation until many years later. But it doesn't change the doctrine. It just is an expression that more clearly represents the doctrine. This definition from John Paul II on tradition, it just simply can't be accepted as dogmatic. It doesn't more clearly express how tradition was understood. If you go back to that definition from Peter Kwasniewski, Dr. K is saying that even if there are certain humano-apostolic traditions, meaning sort of human-preserved ones, they can only be sort of taken away. They can't be modified and added to if they're part of tradition. And Archbishop Lefebvre made this distinction in his book. He said, I'm not talking about those things that aren't part of the tradition in a faith sense. You know, types of architecture for churches, for example. Those can be changed. That's fine. I mean, you shouldn't change them into ways that are ugly and grotesque, but it's not a matter of faith that every church must look gothic, for example. So Archbishop Lefebvre and Dr. K and the traditional catechism are all in line. John Paul II is completely, completely different. Anyway, this is where the modernism comes in, and this is why those who are people who attack the SSPX must necessarily fall into modernist traps. They must accept some sort of nominalism because they must believe that the definitions of things change because the person who's in charge of promulgating the definitions says so, which is wrong. In addition, though, once you start getting into the critique of the SSPX, you have to get into modernism. No one in their right mind, in the way we understand it today, keep that in mind, in the way we understand it today, no one in their right mind in the way we understand it today, uh, in the past, no one would say, on the one hand, the SSPX didn't actually go into schism. On the other hand, they don't have full communion with the church. This is insane. This is absurd. This doesn't make any sense. You must deny the nature of what those words mean in their full sense in order to make those claims. You must believe that you are in the church and not in the church at the same time. You must believe that it is possible to have one foot in the church and be part of the church 
and one foot out of the church and to not be a part of the church in some way. This isn't possible. It doesn't really make any sense. I mean, can you imagine? Well, being a member of the church, it's not like having a green card versus having citizenship versus being a resident. You're either a citizen of the church or you're not. But this is the gobbledygook of ecumenism that they tried to shove down our throats with the Second Vatican Council that we had these various degrees of communion. And none of them are defined. The Lutherans have some sort of communion. Why? I don't know. They do. Okay, fine. How much? 10%, 20%, 30%? The Lutherans who have female priestesses, do they have only 5%? The ones who are kind of old school, do they have 72%? You see where I'm going with this. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. By no traditional definition, and yes, in traditional works, I've been told, I've never been able to find them, and I've looked hard. I looked hard writing my book, the SSPX book, because I didn't want to present, present a book that wasn't complete. I tried to find old stuff, like old, old stuff, where they would talk about full communion and partial communion and things like that. I couldn't find it anywhere. So if it exists, it's an aberration, and it's not the norm. It's definitely not the consensus. But if you're going to critique the SSPX in 2024, especially now, and you're going to say they don't enjoy full communion with the church, this is impossible. You have to be a modernist to say that. You have to. You have to believe somehow that a group of priests can have faculties as recognized by the Pope, but somehow they're not actually in the church. This is insane. Or you have to have a definition of communion which isn't doctrinal. You have to believe that communion is like a matter of percentage points. Like if the Pope likes you and you're not suspended, you have 100% communion points. If the Pope doesn't like you, like Cardinal Burke, but you're Orthodox, you have like 94 communion points. If you are suspended but not excommunicated, you have 68 communion points. If you have a minor excommunication, let's say you're excommunicated from your diocese, well, you have no communion with your bishop or whatever the amount would be. Let's call it 5%. But you have 75% with the Pope. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's so stupid. This is the crap, excuse my French, that you have to believe. Even if you think I'm being absurd, if you go around saying that the SSPX is not in full communion, that is what you have to believe. There's no rationale for this. And the only thing people are going to do, and the people that do the response videos to me, one guy, I don't know his name, I never heard of him before, did some video saying, I haven't read Kennedy Hall's book, but here are my problems with it. Some of my, <laughs> some of my critics don't even read my books. Here's, I've never listened to that song, but here's why it sucks. I've never tried that dish, but I know it's gross. Trust me, I'm smart. I'm a serious person. I criticize things I don't know anything about. But the people that do these, 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 these fools, these fools out there who say things like that, they're, what they do inevitably, it's circular. I will say, traditionally, 
there's no such thing as this partial communion, they will say, aha, but here is all of these modern churchmen saying there is such thing as partial communion. I'll say, yes, but that's not found in the tradition. And they'll say, aha, look at John Paul II's letter where he says tradition is living and therefore it bubbles up in the hearts of believers, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, that's not what tradition is according to tradition. They'll say, aha, but the Pope said so. And I'll say, you're a nominalist. And they'll say, what's that? This is the absurdity of how things go. It's unavoidable. It is unavoidable for somebody to not have a modernist critique. And again, I'm not talking about those who have conscientious objections. They're like, well, I don't think Archbishop Lefebvre is prudent, blah, blah, blah. I mean prudent in the good sense, not in the annoying sense. I don't think Archbishop Lefebvre was prudent. If I was him, I wouldn't have done that. Fine. That's a big difference between that and schism. But clearly, my friends, these critiques of the SSPX must be modernist. And you know what's amazing? You can talk to these people about the Second Vatican Council. And they will tell you to your, they're blue in the face. You've got to accept every jot and tittle. Then you can show them the accord written by Cardinal Ratzinger and Archbishop Lefebvre that says you could have conscientious objections to parts of the Second Vatican Council. And then they'll say, well, that's not what Cardinal Ratzinger said over here. And here's where we get to the point. Here's where we get to the point where you get into the confusion, the demonic part. Maybe if you're listening to this or watching this, maybe you're a little bit confused. You're saying to yourself, this is a lot of nonsense. I don't understand all this. And that's exactly the point. You see, the Catholic faith is not complicated. Sure, when we get into the weeds on certain speculative theological questions that might end up being defined later, we talk about those things, okay, fine. Maybe we've got some precisions we've got to talk about. Okay, fine. But we never hold anyone to those things until they're defined. That's the crazy part. So even if we grant people that there are complexities surrounding how one might understand minutia that have to do with the SSPX, maybe we can say at a future date, something Archbishop Lefebvre believed won't end up being the official definition because there may be a different consensus on this or that. Maybe you can say that, but the point is it hasn't happened yet. So you can't hold somebody to it. And that would be understood if people understood tradition. This is the crazy part. It goes on and on and on with this confusion. The enemies of the SSPX hold the SSPX to the fire based on speculative things that aren't defined by the church because Archbishop Lefebvre would not kneel to speculative things that were harmful to souls that weren't defined by the church. And this goes back to that letter. Archbishop Lefebvre is a schismatic because he doesn't accept tradition. Proof that he doesn't accept tradition is he broke off bonds with the church, which makes it impossible to accept tradition. And then around and around and around in our circular reasoning we go. It's insane. And the demonic part gets worse and worse when you have all of these voices out there. And think about this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being someone in 2024, spending their time attacking the SSPX? What a sad life that person must have. I mean that. And look at the people who do it. 
they're either highly suspect in their personal moral lives. This is true. Look what happened with Church Milton. The biggest enemy of the SSPX was Church Milton. Talk about throwing stones in glass houses. Like Church Milton was attacking the SSPX for cover-up of a sexual nature. Church Milton? Church Milton accusing the SSPX of cover-up of sexual immorality. This is insane. I mean, if, if you can't see that, you're an idiot. I don't know what to tell you. If you can't see the problem with that. I think he doth protest too much, as Shakespeare wrote. So there's either massive suspect problems, and that is important. And I'm going to show you why that is using the Book of Wisdom and the wisdom of Cardinal Seurat. So here's what Cardinal Seurat said by, uh, about Fiducia Supplicants, the, uh, the gay blessing document. And here's what Cardinal Seurat cited from the Book of Wisdom. You can see here on the screen, right at the top, this first paragraph. And I'll read the whole paragraph so you can get it, but then this pertains to what we're going to. He says, The Declaration Fiducia Supplicants writes that the blessing is instead intended for people who ask that all that is true, good, and humanly valuable in their lives and in their relationships be invested, healed, and elevated by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a translation why it says Spirit Holy, because it's uh, Saint Esprit, or Esprit Saint, whatever. Anyway, but what is good, true, and humanly valid in a homosexual relationship defined by the Holy Scriptures and tradition as a serious and intrinsically disordered depravity? How can such a writing correspond to the Book of Wisdom? And here's Scripture. Troubled thoughts lead away from God and power when tested confounds fools. No wisdom does no wisdom does not enter an evil soul. It does not dwell in a body dependent on sin. For the Holy Spirit, the teacher, flees deceit. This is his commentary. This is him talking about the Book of Wisdom. Let's repeat what Cardinal Seurat says. Wisdom does not enter an evil soul. It does not dwell in a body dependent on sin. For the Holy Spirit, the teacher, flees deceit. So if you take a look at these critics of the SSPX, the most vocal ones, we find a massive amount of iniquity and wicked nature. Cardinal Seurat, I think, is pretty trustworthy on these things, quoting the scriptures and giving us his understanding. It is impossible for wisdom to be in that soul. It is possible for Christ to be there. Look into the writings of the saints about what happens to the soul that engages in that sort of behavior. Even the demons flee. You're going to trust these individuals about the SSPX? Really? This is demonic. This is the demonic nature. Look into the other critiques. I'm not going to name names because these people are borderline. Something's, long, something's wrong with them. They're pathological. They never leave you alone when you talk about them. So We find a huge amount of intellectual dishonesty. There are critics of the SSPX who will flat out tell you that Archbishop Lefebvre said the new mass. The only source for that is from Gerard de Laurier, who was a very intelligent, wonderful theologian, went state of a contest later in life. But he was one of the advisors to Pius XII on the assumption he was a pretty big deal. And whatever, I don't fault anybody for going Sadie, especially in the 70s and 80s. Are you kidding me? What a crazy time to be alive as a Catholic. I don't fault anybody now, if I'm being honest, just on a personal level. Man, oh man, things are crazy out there. But anyway, Gerard Delorier wrote Lefebvre a letter saying, you were seen saying the new mass. Archbishop Lefebvre replied and said, 
This is mistaken. That couldn't have happened for reasons X, Y, and Z. There's many other reasons as well. Gerard Delorier replied and said, Oh, my bad. Carry on. But all these people do is they just cite Gerard Delorier and they say Archbishop Lefebvre said the new Mass by just citing the first letter of Archbishop Lefebvre, not citing Archbishop Lefebvre's response, and then not citing Gerard Delorier's retraction that he gave to Archbishop Lefebvre. And this, my friends, is evidence of a diabolical psychology. And why? Not on Gerard Delorier's part. He was just confused and then got his answer. But on behalf of those who use that, why? Because this is called duplicity. It is called being duplicitous. It means confusing people with terms, speaking half-truths in order to spread misinformation and lies. People will cite a letter by someone saying, I saw Archbishop Lefebvre saying the new, ma the new mass. And they'll say, look, look how trustworthy this man is. Ironically, this man was a saint of a contest and they think saint of a contest are the scum of the earth, but they'll shake hands with the saints as long as they can both be the scum of the earth together in their opinion. And then they never show the response of Archbishop Lefebvre. They never show the response from the man who made the first allegation. It is satanic. It is dishonest. What does Christ say about the devil? He is the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. He calls the Pharisees. He says, your, your father is the devil because they lie. They lie about the SSPX. They've lied to you. They tell you they're in partial communion, which is impossible. They tell you they're like the Lutherans, which is impossible. They tell you like the Anglicans, which is impossible. They tell you that tradition has changed to a new type of definition, which is impossible. They tell you that Archbishop Lefebvre said the new mass. And why that's important is because Archbishop Lefebvre protested against saying the new mass. So they say, what a hypocrite. So not only do they lie about Archbishop Lefebvre saying the new mass, they do that using partial information in order to make Lefebvre look like a liar. Think about how evil a person must be to say that. I'm serious. Think of how disordered, dishonest, and evil a person must be to not only lie or, or present false, present incomplete information, which accounts to false information, in order to damage a man's character so that you think he himself is a liar. This is demonic psychology. This is what an adulterer does. If you've ever been around someone who's an adulterer, an adulteress, they're always accusing their spouse of cheating because they're the wicked one. These men who critique the archbishop, many of whom are in states of massive moral depravity, which go back to what Cardinal Seurat said, many of them who are in states of uh, irregular marriages, not uncommon, false marriages probably in some cases, these men living in iniquity, These men lie about Archbishop Lefebvre so that you think Lefebvre's a liar. These are no different than the adulteress or the adulterer screaming adultery at their spouse because it's really them. It's demonic. It's demonic. In addition, these same people who criticize the, arch the Archbishop, they will bend over backwards no fiducia supplicants, pun intended. They'll bend over backwards in order to lie to you about doctrine 
and Pope Francis. They'll do that because they think it's worthy of defending him, but they will not extend the charity to Archbishop Lefebvre at all because they misunderstand charity, because they're modernists, because they're nominalists. These men are usually borderline universalists. Some of them say they wish that universalism was true, that everyone went to heaven, which would mean God would not be just, so they wish God wasn't just. Probably because they're living in grave states of sin and they need that to be justified. So they're modernists. So the only person going to hell for them is Archbishop Lefebvre because he won't bend the knee to their modernism. This is why they have to attack the SSPX. Many of the other critics of the SSPX, you'll find, this is super common, you'll find that they themselves had a bad experience. So they'll say, oh, I had a friend who went to the SSPX and uh, he ended up becoming a state of a contest. This shows you there's some sort of spiritual sickness in the Society of St. Pius X. What? What are we supposed to say about the Novus Ordo? I mean, goodness gracious. They changed the mass and 80% of Catholics stopped going to church. But you're really going to spend your time telling your stupid story about one or two friends who went a little bit too off the deep end? Really? You literally attend a Novus Ordo parish with a bunch of Susans of the parish council pretending to be priests handing out the hosts like Eucharistic Pez dispensers while Father Bob Boomer from the Liberation Theology Society is denying the Immaculate Conception and you're worried about a spiritual sickness at the SSPX? You're an idiot. I don't know else to see. Like, you're out of your mind. But then they'll say, and I've seen this too, well, yes, there's a sickness there as well. And then you ask them, so where should you go to Mass? And basically, well, you should go to Mass at the Fraternity of St. Peter. Because why? They understand tradition's good, but the SSPX are all going to hell, and the Novus Ordo has problems. So this is the funny thing. This is the funny thing. They're more elitist. They're the most elitist bunch. They're the most unreasonable bunch of people in the church. They think there's basically like 150 parishes on earth where you're either not going to get rigidity, Lefebvrean schism and heresy, or the sickness of the Novus Ordo. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. We could go on and on. I'm trying to think of different types of critics of the SSPX. Well, what's, what's fascinating as well, is there was a massive amount of heat thrown at the SSPX, but the big names. Matt Frad was one of them. And man, oh man, that guy's cooled off a lot, I think. I don't know why. I think he was trying to, you know, he was working with some of those SSPX critics and he realized that they were out of their minds. And um, I think he kind of realized that I don't know what I got myself into here because there's a, you know, even if he has problems with the SSPX, I think he realized the people who were against the SSPX themselves were the type of people I'm uh, I'm describing, which are vile, vile, vile men. So it's going to be interesting what happens there. Anyway, 
all of this is to say, let's let's summarize a little bit here. The root of the SSPX so-called schism is modernism, meaning the modernist belief has to be held in order to think the SSPX is schismatic, according to John Paul II's words. A novel ecclesiology has to be believed. Novel terms about communion and things that don't exist at all. You have to deny the traditional understanding of tradition according to Archbishop Lefebvre and then according to Dr. Kwasniewski's research, which shows how it was always understood. You have to accept a new tradition that's not found in tradition, which is impossible. A new definition of tradition that's not found in tradition, which is impossible. Uh, you got to buy into lies about Archbishop Lefebvre. You got to have an ecclesiology that's impossible. You got to believe you can be not suspended, but also in schism. You got to believe you can be excommunicated, but at the same time schismatic, but at the same time have faculties. You have to believe a bunch of historical nonsense about the SSPX, which never actually happened. You have to be, believe men who, according to the scriptures, cannot contain wisdom in their soul because of their wickedness. And those are your those are your gurus on the SSPX, men who can't be wise at all, impossibly, according to the Holy Scriptures. That's the people you want to follow. Good for you. You got to believe people who are butthurt because something bad happened to them at their SSPX chapel growing up. These are your critics of the SSPX, my friend. The world's most notorious group of short-sighted, legalistic, nominalistic, hypocritical fools. These are your people. They're emotional. They're psychologically hurt. They're spiritually disordered. They're morally disordered. They're proud. These are the people who are against the SSPX. And those are the people you want to follow. Now, again, as I've said, there are individuals who just aren't sure there's a big difference between not being sure and I think that uh, Church Milton has a point. It's demonic. It's heretical. It's modernist. It's nominalist. It's legalist. We haven't even got into legalism. Legalism being the idea that if it's said in law, it must be true. we got to follow it. That's not how law works. That's not what Aquinas says. You can drive over the speed limit if your wife is in labor. You can, you're not actually breaking the law because the law can't apply in a state of necessity. Aquinas says necessity knows no law. We even got into apologetic for the consecrations and everything. That's not even the point. The point is just the meta-narrative about the SSPX. In 2024, if you are against the SSPX in like that real sense, then you either have to buy into modernism, you have to be a legalist, you have to be nominalist or something. It's impossible. You might not like the SSPX and not be a That's different. I'm just saying... It's a real, real mess when you get into it. I hope all of that rant made sense. I've just been thinking about it for a long time, and I thought I would just give it a shot. As always, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless.